Weekly Signals timeout. An audio diary of questionable things. Broadcasting live from the backyard of KUCI 88.9 FM on the campus of University of California at Irvine. I'm Nathan Callahan. I'm Mike Caspar. That's enough, Mahler. That's enough. I think that cat next door. That could yeah, be. That, I think the yeah, cat next door is really riling him. And you know what's really, you know what's really frustrating about that cat? Yeah. Is it? It seems to be almost hallucinating. In, in when it goes out in the backyard, you know how cats are. Oh yeah, I've seen they it. will bat at things yeah. and yeah. and uh, slap at things that aren't there. Uh, you'll you'll throw a stick down and they'll act like it's it's a living being. Yeah, yeah. They seem amazed at everything. Yeah, at times they just run around. They 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 try to uh, attack things that uh, aren't a threat. They uh-huh. just seem to want. They seem to have the urge to go after them. Like uh, maybe they were being under, they were under threat from a uh, pillow. But they never carry that threat out. They turn into playful. Yeah, playfulness. Yeah, they're having fun. It with seems it. to be almost therapeutic for the kitties. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. And I, I often wonder if maybe there's some sort of built-in hallucinogen for a cat. There's some chemical in the kitty brain mm-hmm. that releases mm-hmm. that makes them see actually see these things because I'm convinced. That they are seeing these things. This is I don't think cats have the type of imaginations that we have where we don't see things and we make them up. Yeah. You know. Oh, they I think they literally imagine that, you know, a little fuzz a uh, rolled up piece of paper on the ground is somehow a snail. It's or, magical. Yeah, it's magical. <laughs> it's it appears to them to be something magical. Yes. And yeah. Could be catnip. Could be catnip. Because I have I, seen cat, I, I know I've oh, seen cats that don't cat react next door. Yeah, yeah, I've, I've seen cats not react to yeah. catnip. I know oh, I've yeah, seen yeah. some that absolutely are wound up seeing uh-huh. things. They appear to be, uh, they appear to be high. Yeah, it can be dangerous sometimes if you give a cat in too much catnip. Mm. They'll like shred you mm-hmm. if you're if you're trying to play with them a little bit, and they lose it. They, it's it's like a bad trip. Yes, you know it I is mean? like They're, a bad trip. They they think that something wrong is going to happen if you're playing with them, and then they shred your hand. Or and something. anyone who's uh, spent any time with cats knows this: that you'll be petting a cat, and uh-huh. it will be all appearances calm and purring, and then for in a split second, it is flipped over, grabbed your arm, uh-huh. and began biting and scratching it as hard as it can. Yeah, it just have. I don't know why they do that. It, you can have the cat for years; he can know you as well mm-hmm. as anything. But just for some reason, they feel that, and you're doing nothing except trying to make them feel a little bit better. Stay away from the yellow acid. <laughs> now, do you hallucinate? Um, because I know you like cats. I do like cats. I, I have a real symp- empathy for cats, uh, and I have uncat related had. Well, cat related. I'm not saying yeah. cat related. Do yeah. you? Do I, you have you ever hallucinated? Yes, I have. Yes, you yeah. have. Yes, I have. What did you hallucinate? Things were vibrating. Was uh-huh. the th- I mean, everything around me was in in a. It was it was just vibrating. I don't know like, vibrating. To, yeah, things were. Were you on the Lazy Boy recliner? Was that it? <laughs> no, I wasn't actually. You have it turned up. I don't know high? that I can say this on the air because it's it's happened many years ago. So for anybody from law enforcement who might be listening in, uh, but it was uh, I had I was aided by something. It was uh, oh, for crying out loud. Was what? it was it acid? It was psilocybin. 
psilocybin. Yeah. Ah. Yeah. A, a mushroom or a, a yeah, chemical that, and, then, and then there was uh, the uh, the brown, um, some brown. Don't so, be so specific. Yeah, it was brown. Yeah, it was brown psilocybin. Mm. All right. Yeah, and, and did you find? And this? I lived in Laguna at the time, and I was with a lady friend, and we walked around Laguna, went down to the beach, uh-huh. and everything was electric and vibrating. And now, I sometimes I, I understand that that's. Kind of hallucinating. I mean... You think that's just a chemical reaction? No. Well, well what I'm saying is when things are vibrating, mm-hmm. that's that can be said to be a hallucination. Yeah. I once saw a hamburger breathe, but to me, the, but the hamburger was there. My grandmother had just put it down on the table. Yeah. Yeah. So, in that case, I guess the breathing was hallucinating. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. the fact that it was breathing. Yeah. Because the hamburger, I assume, wasn't taking in deep breaths at the time. Normally, you don't experience that. But say if she had put down a hot dog and I saw a hamburger. Mm-hmm. Or say she didn't put down anything mm-hmm. and there was a hamburger there. Mm-hmm. That's To me, that's a, a, a real hallucination. Okay. You know what, I, you know yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, a yeah. real where something uh, – it's, it's a level five hallucination. You are manufacturing an, a, a, a something in your mind that does not exist. Yeah, yeah. You or, have or it created. may exist somewhere else. Well, I mean, in front of you, the, yeah. the, if the hamburger wasn't there and you saw the, the hamburger, reality. it is a separate reality. It is a separate reality. Now, Mike and I are talking about hallucinogens because he brought to my attention an article in the New York Times: hallucinogens have doctors tuning in again. And apparently, uh, this one, uh, what was he, a, 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 a clinical psychologist mm-hmm. who had uh, problems of his own, depression, yeah, uh, decided one day to, to uh, take LSD. Well, he had exhausted the traditional treatments, the drugs. Well, that's what he said. It, well, exhausted. Yeah. What does exhausted mean? Well, I assume that he, he was tried. tired of doing them. He was he, he was exhausted. He was taking the antidepressants. He was yeah. doing the general, the acceptable protocol for people who were uh-huh. diagnosed with depression. And he decided and to he take LSD. And he just said, "You know what? I'm going to try it." Yeah, mushrooms, psilocybin. Okay, he took okay. He took psilocybin, and in that case, he thought it was a very positive experience. Yes. He it was it alleviated his depression. Mm-hmm. And he was a happy man. Very happy man, apparently. Uh-huh. Much happier than he was and, before. And, he's, and he goes on at length uh, talking about this fact and also how our current situation in the United States mm-hmm. prevents us from using any hallucinogens to alleviate other people's depressions. Well, the, the, it's the stigma, I believe. That the stigma that is attached to the use of any of these substances because of something that was a cultural shift that was going on back in the early 60s, mid-60s, whatever, where people began to take the, these drugs, these substances, for non-clinical reasons. They took them for recreational, perceived recreational um, Even the benefit. fact that we call them substances, though. Mm. Is is part of that okay. culture of denial about these things? Mm-hmm. I mean, you're a substance. Mm-hmm. Okay. I mean, what's what's not a substance? 
that we can touch and stick in our mouth. Okay. Is there? I mean, yeah. everything everything we digest is a substance, okay. and yet they we, they call them substances as if to utter the word. It's almost an N word type. Yeah, of thing. it is. You're right because it, yeah, because it distinguishes you know, them as something ne- in a negative uh, connotation. And 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 that kind of culture also makes it very difficult for people to address the fact that the best times in their lives were under the influence of hallucinogens mm-hmm. because it's it's kind of a shame uh, and not a shame like bad boy but uh, it's a shameful um, incident to a lot of people that you would take these things mm-hmm. take these substances these substances <laughs> yeah even the way you say it, the way people say it, these substances, and that's uh, that is well. The point I the point I, I was intrigued by this article, obviously because uh, it is it, it it really brings up the history of LSD, psilocybin, all kinds of uh, psychotropic drugs that were taken, um, as I said, in the '60s. But the research on them and the development of those goes way back. It uh-huh. goes back uh, into the '50s when the the LSD was discovered. The LSD. The LSD uh-huh. was discovered through research done, and you you're more familiar with this, I uh-huh. believe, than I am. Through the Air Force, so the Army had been doing research with this. Well, first of all, I just okay. want to go back a little bit to to say uh, talk about what Doctor Martin did. Okay, he took the hallucinogen, put on an eye mask and headphones, lay on a couch listening to classical music. And just kind of contemplating. He knew what he was in for. Yeah. He knew what he was going to do. Right. He set up a good situation for himself to do it. And uh, he said, all of a sudden, everything familiar started evaporating. Imagine you fall off a boat out in open in the open ocean and you turn around and the boat is gone. Then the water's gone and then you're gone. Hmm. That's picture, that's something. Picture yourself. He credits in a boat that six-hour experience with helping him overcome his depression and profoundly transforming his relationships with his daughter and his friends. He ranks it among the most meaningful events of his life. Right. And this is a clinical psychologist who right. was uh, trying all the pharmaceuticals that were available to him. Right. Uh, finally, coming around to a drug that was developed. In uh, 1954, 1950, I think it was it was developed by a company called Sandoz, mm. and their uh, one uh, chemist there, Albert Hoffman, was working on a cure for migraines, mm-hmm. and happened to get a little bit of this substance, I think, on his hands. Substance. The substance. He got, he got LSD. It wasn't. I call it substance now because it had no name. You know, it was. Mm. It was just whatever he concocted to cure migraines. Uh, he got it on his hands, and uh, for the next twelve hours or so, had a profound psychedelic experience. Yeah. And and took took it very seriously too. Yeah. And as much as this clinical scientist did. Yeah. Uh, he uh, noted it. He categorized it he had a did it again under controlled uh situations he knew it wasn't necessarily something you wanted to say operate a jackhammer while you were <laughs> under the influence yeah and uh, also he he uh his famous bicycle ride home from sandoz where the entire world vibrated 
and he had a different uh, view of things from that point on. Mm. He had very much uh, the type of experience that uh, Dr. Martin, the clinical psychologist, had when he said, you fall off a boat, there's water all around, the water's gone, then you're gone. Yeah. And you're just in whatever you're in. So. So here's Albert. Here's Albert. Where do you want to go with this? I'm just saying, Albert comes up, he, the, the, the man with the, in the bow tie and the, and the, uh, the, the uh, white coat yeah. has a psychedelic experience. Uh-huh. He realizes he's onto something. Yeah. And eventually, somehow, some way, the Army or the Air Force got wind uh, of this. Now, you have to remember the circumstance. We're talking 1950 here. Yeah. We're talking beginning Cold War. Mm-hmm. We're talking the formation of the CIA. And we're talking the, uh, well, the afterglow of World War II. Yeah. And we're talking about a place in Switzerland, Sandoz, mm-hmm. uh, which apparently uh, the CIA had plenty of people over in Europe at the time. The uh, initial thought on this drug was that perhaps when the company got hold of it, mm-hmm. was that perhaps it could be used to prevent warfare by putting it in aerosol cans and spraying troops that were advancing. The bad they, guys coming the bad at us. Guys. Yeah, okay. Well, they, I mean, it's a good thing, though. I mean, it, if if they had the same experience Albert Hoffman had, yeah. and if you put yourself in the zeitgeist of that period where we had just defeated the evil Nazis, yeah. uh, we would like to imagine that Nazis would be on a boat in the middle of the ocean <laughs> and and that the they'd fall out of the boat, that the, they'd... The water would disappear, and then they would disappear, yeah. and they would see the the glory of the universe and put down their guns and walk away. That mm. was that was that the was, hope. That was the hope. But uh, things went awry. Mm-hmm. They decided, of course, as all clinical folks do, that they needed to test this stuff in in the open air. And one of the things they did, which has just been revealed, was tested on a, a, a town in France. Pont- Saint Esprit, mm. or the uh, um, Saint of the Spirits. How appropriate. Which is about 300 miles um, away from Sandoz. They uh, put it into the town, and, and, and for what it's worth, uh, up until just a few years ago, it had always been supposed that this was because of a bad mold in the baguettes in this French village. Okay. That was the excuse. That was the, the that official was, explanation. That was the official explanation. Yeah, weapons of mass destruction. It was that kind of thing. And they uh, apparently the people there, well, let's hear. I'll, I'll read from the, the report at the time. Among the stricken delirium rose, patients thrashed wildly on their beds, screaming that red flowers were blossoming from their bodies. One man tried to drown himself, screaming that his belly was being eaten by snakes. Apparently, they had a little bit too much of a dose of this stuff. An 11-year-old tried to strangle his grandmother. Well, that's understandable. (laughs) Another man shouted, I am a plane, before jumping out of a second-floor window, breaking his legs. Then he got up and carried on for another 50 yards before, you know, the fact that he broke his legs and entered his reality. Another saw his heart escaping through his feet and begged a doctor to put it back. 
Many were taken to an asylum in straitjackets. This is in the and this was Esprit from, in France. This was mold from baguettes. And that was this, the official yeah, explanation. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I mean, the CIA then, yeah. didn't want to let people know that they were experimenting right. with a drug that only at that time about a uh, half dozen people knew about the existence of this guy, uh, this drug. That's what it says in the literature. One of them being Albert Hoffman, who was taken there to observe. Okay. And apparently, uh, after that happened, they put they shelved their their other plans. Uh, they were going to experiment uh, uh, with LSD in other places, including the New York subway system, <laughs> which we can all imagine. How, what a joyful ride that would have been for the people involved. <laughs> Imagine a, a car or two full of people in a mm. New York subway, uh, in a New York subway car. Yeah. Now, now this screaming. brings back, of course. Be- well, well yeah. part of this, yeah. just to frame this a little bit, yeah. part of this is people did not know what was happening to them. Exactly. They had no yeah. idea. Going LSD about is, is not something you just kind of give to someone without letting them know that they're about to hallucinate wildly. Yeah. Because you might misinterpret uh, the vibrating world around you yeah. differently if you don't know that you've just taken a substance. You might feel that you're getting sick. Or you might feel that, I mean, it's nice to think that flowers are blossoming out of your body. Yeah. However, if you don't know why they're blossoming out of your body, then that might make you feel that. These are the end times. Or, <laughs> this is something that yeah. maybe, just maybe, yeah. is a little out of the ordinary. And if everyone around you is also screaming and yelling, <laughs> it kind of brings up the paranoia level, as as any of us who have taken any sort of psychedelic knows. You want to be in a situation where people are friendly and, and things are nice and you're listening to music that you want to listen to yeah. and, you're, and you're doing things that you want to do. Now you know you can take on bizarre things under the influence, as uh, Doc Ellis did in uh, in the nineteen seventies yeah. when when he pitched the no hinder uh, yeah. for Pittsburgh Pirates against the San Diego Padres uh, under the influence of LSD. Yeah. He didn't know he was going to be pitching that day, and just happened to. He had taken some, and uh-huh. then his girlfriend informs him, oh, "By the way, you're uh-huh. you bet you got to get to the ballpark." Now, now, unfortunately, the major leagues. Tossed out the uh, the footage of this game, and it, I guess they just didn't want to hold on to it. It was a no hitter. You would think they'd hold on to it, but they didn't. There's a great little animation yeah. uh, which has been playing around town and also on YouTube. And you can see that at NathanCallahan.com uh, of uh, a very nice cartoon illustration of Doc Ellis, and the the uh, voiceover voice underneath is an interview with Doc Ellis yeah. uh, talking about the experience. It sounds like he had a great time. And, and you can go into pressure situations. You yeah. can pitch a game, have a wonderful time. Apparently, though, he the ball got very large sometimes, and he caught it with both hands. And other times, it turned into a little pee, and he had trouble locating it. People would hit balls back to him very slowly, and he would dive out of the way. But And, and I, I think he hit a number of batters. That was one of the reasons yeah. I think that he pitched the no hitter. He yeah. hit like eight batters. Yeah, it was kind of the Bull Durham effect. <laughs> was... You know, hit the mascot, and then the batter will will, will assume that uh... that ball may go anywhere. So they're less likely to lean into the plate. You know, there, yeah. there's something about discussing this where there's a there's a there's a factor, a uh, humorous factor. Uh-huh. I mean, it's not wasn't funny to the people in this village in France. No, at all. Uh-uh. But now, looking back, there's something perversely comical about it in the circumstances, not knowing. I mean, it's not funny. I'm, I'm making uh-huh. light of it in a way, but 
Uh, it's not. And I guess one of the reasons I wanted to talk about this is because there is something to this. There is something of value in the psychedelic experience. Oh, yeah. For a lot of reasons. Now, granted, to, you know, handing it out willy-nilly to people and all the rest of it, certainly there's there, there we need to be very careful about all of those things. But so many things that were have been discredited, and this is kind of my my big point. So many things that were discredited during uh, this period of time in the '60s have turned out to be true, but we still refuse to accept the value of them in this cultural in our culture today. Well, and, and I have to say though that uh, Timothy Leary ruined it. There, there's something I, I see sometimes even on uh, even today mm-hmm. as marijuana uh, is starting to become. Uh, close to legalized, you see certain people in entertainment or just out in the world uh, going the wrong way with the possibilities of what it is. Mm -hmm. There's a kind of bravado that goes with it that uh, um, exaggerates the potential and turns it into a threat because if you don't do this, you're, you're, you're not on the bus. And that's uh, – it's it's no wonder. You, you kind of make the 60s sound like it was some sort of perfect place. Oh. And mm-hmm. and uh, Larry, Timothy Larry, pretty much ruined it uh, as far as – How LSD do you mean goes. that? What, what did he do that ruined it? You mean well, because – why he... do you think people don't want uh, – <laughs> if, if he wasn't turning it into a, a entire cultural shift – Mm-hmm. then we might have integrated into our medicines and to our uh, way of life uh, more easily. I'm, I'm not saying it's a, it's a, it would have happened, but it would have had a much better chance than to, to introduce it into a, into a culture where it's, it's driven by the dollar and, and you're telling people to turn off, take the drug, and reject the society. Mm-hmm. That wasn't going to happen. Yeah, that was never going to happen. And Leary uh, so, led and, a lot of people to believe that it would. And under the influence of LSD, they really took it to heart. Yeah, so so it was this kind of all or nothing. Take it. We'll sh- this will be this cultural shift. Uh, it'll be more than that. It'll be a, a shift in humanity and the way yeah. we see things and the way we, we operate. And it was an all or nothing proposition. Yeah. I think that's what you're saying. Well, it, that's true, and and it, it's also the, another discussion about marijuana. And other, I'm just—I don't want to sound—I'm not nostalgic for the '60s. I don't think it was a perfect time at all. It was naive. We've talked about this a lot, but the point is, is marijuana would probably have been legal a long time ago, or at least we would have decriminalized it a long time ago. Except in my mind, the wrong people were smoking it—the yeah. people who were opposed to government policies. And a, and a wide range of issues, including mm-hmm. the war and civil rights and all kinds of things. And it, it's, it has nothing to do with the value, the uh, the pluses and minuses, the therapeutic value, anything else. It has to do with a perception of it. And the same thing is true of LSD, a perception of it that have set it back in terms of acceptance for its real value uh-huh. for 40 years. Yeah. And the same thing, as I said, with marijuana, the wrong people. We're ingesting it. If 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 Republicans had been smoking marijuana in the '60s, it would have been legal. For Republicans, that's too, whatever. Conservative, older people had been. Well, you're some, going awry there. Yeah, forget it. Yeah. But my point is, is the wrong people were doing. Oh, what do you mean the wrong people? In other words, they were they were in, in this cultural war 
that has been going on for 40 years. The, the, the accepted perception of the 60s is that these were crazy loons who were on the verge of bringing us down as a society and maybe uh-huh. at the world. And these people, by, by the way, they also smoked marijuana and Charlie Manson. I mean, well, and, I, I, I would I, put and, it this way. I, I think it's the born agains that, that, that ruin things. Okay. The people that believe that somehow there can be a catharsis and everything will change, even for them or for the culture. And things don't work that way. And, and when they are, are uh, uh, a, 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 being activists for that kind of change, they are making that change less likely. Mm-hmm. If 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 one day you're a businessman in an office, you take LSD, and then you're going to change the world because you saw visions, well, you know, that's nice and that's sweet, but you're not going to change the world. Think about changing yourself first. Mm-hmm. And these people were m- m- more involved in in taking a uh, an ecstatic experience and assuming that it, it carried over to every aspect. And, and it and it continues to this day. Where, where where drugs are regarded that way rather than can, they can actually help you. Yeah, I, I agree with all, almost everything you just said, except that whatever value they had, and, and going back to Albert Hoffman and moving forward, yeah. there were p- plenty of people who studied this in, a, in the sober reality of the laboratory mm-hmm. and clinical studies. They knew and they know today that there were benefits to be had from it, yeah. but, the, but this could not be implemented medically, in any other way, because the politics of the uh, and again, I go back to the people who were ingesting it right. were considered uh, untouchables, outsiders for whatever reason. So we could not accept its clinical value based on a perception of politics and social and the, and the, the social side of it. Yeah. That was never going to happen. Judges were imposing draconian sentencing on these people for taking this drug uh-huh. that were so disproportionate to the so-called crime or violation as to it, it was more than that it was more than just they had a bag of marijuana it was that they were the wrong people and, and that's what i'm trying to say i mean people go to jail for 20 years as for a soon bag as of you marijuana have a marijuana a bag of uh, as soon as you take lsd you're the wrong person and and, and just there's a certain amount of time that's required for change. Okay. It's only been 50 years. Mm-hmm. And, and we have introduced a, um, a, a drug that can make you feel like God into a society that worships the dollar. Mm-hmm. That's not a long time to have that society embrace a drug that shifts the focus away from their current God. Mm-hmm. And and I think, hopefully, that uh, Dr. Uh, Clark Martin, the clinical psychologist who looked into this and, and uh, took LSD and uh, believes that it should be used more to, to help people, uh, can can have his way. I, I, I hope that everyone has the opportunity to take this wonderful drug because uh, I have, and, and it was... Uh, it was a profound experience. Well, and just, just to put a... A bow on this. Yeah. The, this clinical study where 60 people brought into this is John Hopkins. This is not yeah. uh, you know Orange Coast College. This is John Hopkins. Uh, uh, the, 36 of these people uh, over a year later still ranked it as one of the top five experiences of their life. Yeah. It was a profoundly moving spiritual 
Uh, now, this, these were done under very controlled clinical yeah. Um, uh, uh, settings, protocols. Yeah, uh, much these... the way Aldous Huxley did it too. Yeah, this, this, these kind of controlled environments are are the way this drug was introduced initially into our culture. Right, and I'm not saying that everybody in the world, you know, should be taking psilocybin or LSD or any any other thing. I'm saying is that in that certain circumstances, under the proper medical uh, oversight. These can be very, very valuable tools in helping people deal with depression and end of life anxieties and all of a lot of other things that go on that we uh, we well, simply will not address. Well, just find a good tour guide. <laughs>